Radio Drome. It's another episode of Radio Drome. And hey, Brad Jones, who's on this episode, do you know what they can't hear in space? They can't hear Brad Jones. <laughs> say silence? <laughs> do you know what they can hear in space and everywhere? They can hear the Adam and Eve promo. If you go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, they could get 50% off of a single item. Three free DVDs, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift. And you can even hear the DROME promo in space. And if you guys can't tell from the really bad illusions we're making there tonight's topic is the alien franchise suede alex when was the first time you saw the very first alien film oh the very first alien film i actually saw like late 90s on joe bob's monster vision actually rented it would have been the early 90s junior high i was renting about every other thing under the sun rode my bike down to the video store and uh picked up both that and uh, the first one or and the second one sorry I saw this long before I should have. I saw this in theaters, technically. I was four. Mm-hmm. My mom got into a fight with my dad, and he didn't go to the movie, so she just took me along. So I was four years old. All I remember is the chestburster scene and the scene of Sigourney Weaver getting dressed in the spacesuit while singing. That's all I remembered from age four. For- you were four. You should have been like, oh, kitty. <laughs> I-, I think I was like, oh, please don't kill kitty. Yeah, yeah. Go kill Jones. I love Jonesy. And then it's kind of a so- sobering fact that when Cameron made Aliens in 86, I kind of went, you know, that original cat's long dead. Oh, well, maybe not. It was only seven years. You were holding out hope, though? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he recast Sigourney. Why not recast Jonesy? <laughs> the Alien franchise. When this movie came out, or when the first Alien came out, I love this movie, so I am not bitching about it. And Ridley Scott admits this, so I'm not like, you know, we're not going to get into another is it or is it not fight Jones about Tarantino. But Ridley Scott ad- proudly admits it's basically a bigger budget version of Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires and It the Terror from Beyond Space. Which makes him a thief and a plagiarist. He it's, stole it's, those. Just, oh, oh, fuck Ridley Scott. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Alien redefined things because you had you had the big blockbuster that was Jaws. In 75. Alien sold itself as being Jaws in space. Which I think was a big mistake. Well, that's how they sold it. You had, you had and it made Jaws. lots of money, so it wasn't a mistake. Well, you had Jaws, and then you had Star Wars, and then you had Alien come out two years later, and it was science fiction, but really nothing like the science fiction that people got with Star Wars or even Star Trek The Motion Picture. This was, I think, the first time I ever remember seeing dirty, lived-in style future for the look that they were going for. Well, and certainly using elements, too, of B-flicks, from of B-science fiction flicks from the 1960s, albeit done with a bigger budget, darker, grungier, grittier, and more suspenseful, but also using elements of creature feature flicks from, like, the 1950s. Oh, I, absolutely. And the thing that... that even now, when I watch Alien now, the only thing that really dates the movie is some a couple of the hairstyles. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that movie looks like it could have been made. Well, not today because the effects are all practical, but in the, the, ni- in the 1990s, are, the effects are good. Yeah, in the 1990s, let's say before CGI was was the go-to. Yeah. But well, I, the, 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 the the film it, it it hasn't aged poorly. That's let's put it this way, guys. A lot of late 70s films haven't aged all that well. Depends on the. It depends on the movie you're talking about. You can say that about any movie made in any decade. But Alien, I think, has aged fine. One, the to get into effects work again. It's unavoidable in this case, Brad. It's unavoidable to get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're certainly a broken record on that. But but the truth, but it's true. I'm sorry. The effects are way better in Alien than if they were to do the movie nowadays. Because nowadays it would look like a freaking cartoon. I mean, maybe a couple of the hairstyles are a little dated, but that's nothing really. Other than that, I don't think I don't think the movie looks all that dated, except for how it's made. Except it's made at a very deliberate pace, which is something we'll get to more when we get to Prometheus. Ridley and Scott I mainly, is... I'm, I'm mainly talking about on a technical aspect with that, in terms of effects work, which, again, like I said, I'm not knocking the movie for that. I, I'm complimenting the movie because of that for effects work. Uh, and also, you're right, too, with pacing. The pacing are... is very late 70s. Yeah, you're right. And, and again, I mean that as a compliment. Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't meaning that as a shot at all. But, I yeah. mean, late 70s to, like, 82, there was a certain style of movie making that only existed at that time. In Ridley Scott's all about pacing, which, like I said, we'll get to a little bit more when we get to Prometheus, but sometimes he's willing to sacrifice story or even coherence of story as long as the pacing is good, which I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing or not. But Alien is almost perfectly paced. If you think about it, almost nothing happens for the first 45 minutes, but you're never bored, are you? No, no, not at all. That's not... That's the sign of a good storyteller right there. That's the sign of a good director where you don't immediately just jump into the shit in the first five minutes of the film. You know, if it's done poorly, yeah, that first act can be very, very boring if that's done poorly. In the case of this movie, it's not as a solid build up to it. It builds up suspense and it mean it still maintains that suspense in the first act of the movie. And I think largely why that works so well is that in the first 45 minutes of the film, you do know where it's going. You do. Or at least, I mean, I did the first time you I saw it. You have an idea, movie. at least. You have an yeah. idea of where it's going. You know the kind of movie it is. You know, probably know why what's going to happen is going to happen, meaning John Hurt, Chessburster, stuff like that. That that makes it suspenseful. That makes it relatively intense in the in the first act of the movie because you are waiting for that to happen first time i watched it that it was on tv with commercials and that first 45 minutes was stretched out to an hour 20 and i was still into it because i mean, I, I, I think one of the things scott does in that first 45 minutes is he really gives you the idea that not only is this a real spacecraft i mean like something that you could see existing but he also gives you the idea of this much larger world that, like, there's that one throwaway line of dialogue when they're like, this isn't our system, I would recognize our system. You know, implying that these space truckers have been all over the galaxy. You know, that there's all these more stories that could have been told. And it does it fairly realistically, too, to mainly in how they talk to each other, mainly in how they dress. You know, they're not on board this ship dressed like they're members of, like, the Enterprise or something like that. You know, they don't have... 
they don't have these, you know, kind of nineteen seventies TV series space suits and, and, and things like that. It it it's done fairly like you know what it, if this were to happen way 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 in the future, what are these people going to talk like? What are these people probably going to dress like? And it did that well. Yeah, and it even had and, and John Hurt said this was an intentional acting choice. His character is so apathetic, like 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 he's bored. That this is all so commonplace to him. I mean, just, you know, the landing of the ship and mining and all that, that it's just he's bored with his life. And, and that's something a lot of, like like you brought up the Enterprise, Star Trek doesn't do that. They're always, yeah, it's a new adventure! Not, oh, Christ, another planet. Yeah, which works fine for Star Trek, but here, you know, it was nice to see something like that in something like this movie. And I'll admit, like, I probably knew the John Hurt thing was going to happen in the movie because I'm pretty sure, because I saw Spaceballs before I saw Alien. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the guy from Spaceballs, right? <laughs> well, I, I, well I, I remember I saw Spaceballs like when it first hit video when I was a kid, and I'm watching it with my dad, and that happens at the end with John Hurt. And I remember being like, what was that? My dad's yeah. like, oh, it's from, <laughs> my dad's like, oh, it's, it's from this movie called Alien. I'm like, oh, okay. But the way that chestburster scene does come, like, almost out of nowhere. I mean, I'd seen yeah. Spaceballs before, and it took me by surprise. It was like, wow! And that's what that was from. And, and that, took every, <laughs> that took everybody by surprise. That moment was the moment that not only sold the script. When, when producers Hill and Geiler saw the script by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusset, they, they said, the script is just okay, but there's this one scene that we have that means we have to make this movie. There's this one scene that there's never been anything like this before in a movie. So that that chestburster scene was the scene that sold the movie and sold it to audiences with word of mouth. To this day, people are still talking about that scene. Yeah, because if you don't know it's coming, you don't see it coming. <laughs> because it's just so, whoa, okay, that happened. And to be fair, the cast didn't know it was coming either. Because that scene was removed from their their version of the script. They showed oh. up for shooting that day, and they find the cameras wrapped in plastic and all of the crew in rain slickers. And they're like, what's going on? And oh, crap. We're, the, we're making a snuff film. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, they're, they're going to lay Veronica Cartwright and Sigourney down, and we're, we're making a porno, yeah. right? The only one who knew what was going to happen was obviously John Hurt, because I should freaking because he, he, needed hope so. the, he needed the prosthetic done, but the rest of the, the cast and crew, or the rest of the cast, they had no clue. I yeah, mean, they pulled it, a bow finger on them. <laughs> and and it, like Veronica Cartwright said at the Horror Hall of Fame in 1990, she said her scream there is genuine. That that's not her character acting. That's that's her as Veronica Cartwright when she saw that thing pop out of John Hurt's chest. That he wanted the chestburster scene to be an absolute surprise to everyone. He was adamant about that. And then you've got H.R. Giger's absolutely beautiful production design for the the derelict spacecraft the alien lv426 you've got all the pseudo sexual imagery with the openings in the spacecraft being vaginas and the alien's head being a giant penis and then there's that weird kind of deleted did he rape her or not scene that ridley scott left in the movie for no reason at all you know which scene i'm talking about brad no i don't actually no, I don't, and I actually never picked up on penises and vagina imagery either. Oh, that I did. That I totally did. <laughs> I thought that was obvious. Yeah. Right when he goes to kill Veronica Cartwright, he's already killed Yafet Koto, 
And remember, she just kind of freezes, and you see the alien slowly sticking his tail up between her legs. She's fully clothed. Then when Ripley gets there to get the rest of the oxygen, the CO2 scrubbers, she's dangling from a ceiling naked. Where'd her clothes go? There was a deleted scene in the script where the alien was trying to impregnate her. They hadn't come up with the concept of the queen yet, and he raped her. And there's still the implication of that because all of a sudden, why is Lampert naked all of a sudden? Why did the alien take her clothes off? That's in the porno spoof. When Alien came out, it was such a monster smash. It hit not quite what Star Wars or Jaws did, but it became a cultural phenomenon. You started seeing chestbrifter jokes on Johnny Carson. There were alien parodies on Saturday Night Live only a month after the movie came out. Things like that. That's when you knew it hit pop culture, just you know, like the jackhammer jaw through the through Yafet Koto's forehead. Of that and the the knockoffs too, leading to oh, so many knockoffs. Oh yeah, especially the Italians. The Italians loved their alien knockoffs. Or Brad, Alien Two, Alien on Earth, the only true sequel. Unlike Alien Three, it actually did go to Earth. Ah. You even had the bizarre move, and this had, this they'd never done yet, trying to market toys from an R-rated film to children. I saw that all the time growing up. Was Alien but the first one that actually started doing that? Alien was the first one. Conan was the second that I that okay. I think of, and the toys were pulled out of out of stores because they were quote unquote too scary. And then a- Alien. It had some. It had a novelization. It had the action figures, which got pulled. It had a comic book put out by Heavy Metal Productions, and it just kind of sat on the shelf for a long time. Big hit on video. Big hit on cable. Alien Two. That's actually what Aliens was called all the way up until until they started shooting it. Even Cameron's script is called Alien Two. Yeah. Alien Two just kind of sat in development hell forever. And then it wasn't until 1985 that Cameron, coming off of the success of The Terminator, and using kind of his... If you see the the Roger Corman movie he made, Galaxy of Terror, you, you basically see his prototype alien designs for what he would do for the aliens. Combination of the success of Terminator and ga- the, the work he did on Galaxy of Terror that got him the job at 20th Century Fox writing Alien 2. But then Aliens came out in 1986, and I didn't see this one in the theater initially because, and I don't regret my decision, our town only had two screens for a movie theater at that time. It was either Aliens or Beverly Hills Cop 2. Sweet. I chose Beverly Hills Cop 2. So would I. Aliens comes out, and it's not quite the hit Alien was, but it's a big, big hit. I loved Aliens when I saw it on video, when I saw it on cable. And now I can't watch that version anymore. After seeing the director's cut, all I see when I watch the theatrical cut now are the scenes that I'm missing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to me, the theatrical cut is a mess now that I know all the other stuff that explained all the plot holes that were in Aliens, the -hmm. theatrical. So to me, as, as soon as they came out with the director's cut, which for the longest time was only available on Laserdisc or... Bizarrely enough, the ABC TV version. <laughs> because they had to cut out so much swearing and violence, they put all the deleted scenes back in from the Laserdisc. So when was the first time, Brad, you encountered Aliens? Like a week after I saw the first one. <laughs> oh, so you rented it right away? Yeah, yeah. I, I did that with most most, most franchises. Then. Again, this is the early 90s. I'm, I'm in junior high. and Yeah, I uh, just rented the first one. 
really liked it and then went out and saw the it went out and rented the second one this was yeah that's that's what i did i, I just rented them both watched them uh yeah like i said probably within a few days of each other honestly i rented it and watched it on cable i don't know which i did first i remember watching it because no see here's the big difference between alien and aliens to me well they they still are clearly part of the same franchise they are such different types of movies. I can actually see, like Brad, in your case, watching them, you know, relatively back to back. How they almost seem like they don't go together when you watch Alien, this slow-paced monster movie, almost haunted house in space, a big military action movie following that up. Going back to when I was a kid watching it, I thought it worked. One, I I, I did know that going into Aliens, though. I I did. Because I, while it was like 91 or 92 when I saw it, I, I remember when the movie came out. I, I, I remember when it was out in theaters. And I knew the kind of movie it was. So I did go into it knowing that it was much more of an action movie. I knew that it was much more of a military film. That it was a lot more action heavy and a little bigger in that regard. At the same time though, it's an example of something that did that well did that really well because while they are both different styles of movies to me anyway when i see it now and even when i saw it back then it, it didn't feel like it was part of a different universe it didn't feel like i'm watching something from just a completely different world a completely different genre or a completely different it didn't it didn't feel like i was watching an in name only sequel it, it didn't yeah the 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 genre, yeah, okay, yeah, the genre is, is, is different, certainly, but it still felt like it was all part of the same franchise, like you said, and all part of the same universe. And I think part of the reason for that, Cameron's almost genius-like decision to set it 57 years in the future from the first Alien. Yeah, that and we found it's out... It's basically that... a new generation, old new technology. He, yeah. He, by, by doing that, it's like what J.J. Abrams did with the Star Trek reboot. By setting it in another timeline, that's a genius way to stop comparisons with the original. And it, it still worked, even when stuff like happens in it that you know is called back to the original. It doesn't seem out of place. It still works with the droids, and we find out that Jones the Cat was still alive. It's because he, he was in Ripley's hypersleep tube. Yeah, see? He, he, he was fine in, in everything. And also, the alien was the alien still... It, it wasn't like, you know, sometimes how you'll see, like, a sequel to something that will do something really radically di different, and it doesn't even seem like it's the same kind of villain, you know? Yes, was, I, yes I know what you mean. You know what I mean? This one, you still didn't... You still didn't have that like it still felt i think like, you had that to a degree because to, deg to a degree but it still it still fit the same kind of villain yes. it still fit that same kind of species yeah there was some different things going on but it still seemed like it was part of that species so that still worked whereas like i i've seen movies do sequels do that that it, it, it seems out of place and it fails. Most recently, I went to go see The Collection, which tried doing what Aliens did, whereas the first one, The Collector, was a suspense film, and the second one is much more of an action film, is much more effects-heavy, has a lot more set pieces in it, but that didn't work at all. 
again, Aliens still seemed like it was part of the same universe. The Collection doesn't. The Collection and the Collector both have the same villain. They both have the same villain, but they're doing radically different things in both of them that it doesn't seem like it's the same villain or even the same freaking... or even that it's in the same freaking continuity with the first one. Yeah, I love Aliens. That's what I'll say about that movie. Um, and the, the whole thing with Nutha, that they only come at night, mostly. Or Bill Paxton with his ad-libbed, game over, man, game, game over. over. And the line's not, that line's not even in the script. That was an ad-lib <laughs> by Bill Paxton. There was a little bit of hubris involved with, I'm not sure if it was Cameron or if it was Stan Winston. They specifically and consciously, and the lawsuit proved this, they were able to find evidence of this, left H.R. Giger's name off the film, and it said Creature Designs by Stan Winston. That was kind of a douchey move for Winston to, or if that was Cameron's call, to not even credit H.R. Giger for the basic alien design, even if they they didn't copy it. Why'd Why'd they do that? Why'd they take his name off? The reason is unclear. The fact that they did it and that was it was a conscious move because his name was listed in an early version of the credits and then it was removed. The reason is the thing that was unclear when Giger sued, going, uh, that's my design. Huh. Stan Winston's taking credit for my work. Yes, he redesigned it and he changed it, but that doesn't mean you still can't credit H.R. Giger for the original design, especially because even though it's a deleted scene, they actually used the derelict when Newt's parents find the ship. So they actually did use actual H.R. Giger design material, even if it was excised from the theatrical cut of the film. So he's out there like Hadley F. You, plagiarist. Yes, exactly. Okay, this is the thing that's weird. When Cameron was editing the movie, he, he made the decision, and I think, you know, if you delete the scenes with the guns in the hallway or you delete the scenes with the other characters on LV-426 prior to Newt's parents getting back, or even the the scenes with Newt's parents, it was just absolutely stupid to delete the scene with Ripley's daughter's death because that absolutely explains the connection she has with Newt. That scene needed to remain in. I I mean, the scene was only a minute or so long, and he said he cut it for time. I don't understand that decision whatsoever. And then if you watch the documentaries on the Alien Quadrilogy box set, I'm surprised Cameron actually got this movie made. And that's not a shot at Cameron. I'm saying he overcame major obstacles, which are basically his crew. His crew, he had to shoot the movie in England with an English crew. English crews don't operate the same as American movie crews. For instance, when tea time or break time comes along, doesn't matter if they're in the middle of the scene. They just turn the camera and the lights off and it's break time. That's what the law requires. You don't finish the scene, you go to break. Like, hey, 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 we're shooting a scene here. Where are you guys going? Crumpets. And <laughs> and his, his biggest adversary was his original DP. His DP thought that he should be the one directing the movie, so he was sabotaging Cameron the whole time, hoping to get him fired after about the first two weeks. So then Brandywine, the production company, would just say, you take over and finish the movie. So he, Cameron was fighting against his DP the entire time. Who was the DP? It's a guy we've never heard of, which is a fate that is apt for a saboteur like that. And then there was, we can't leave out the controversy about James Ramar. James Ramar originally was playing Hicks. You could even see him from behind in one shot that's still in the film. This I didn't know. Yeah, he, he played Hicks for the first week and a half or so of shooting, and Cameron and Ramar have not come out and said why this happened, but they said 
due to differences in how Cameron and Ramar thought the character of Hicks should go, Ramar was let go and replaced a week, week and a half into shooting with Michael Bean. And so they had to reshoot all the Ramar's footage with Hicks, but there's still one shot. It's a, it's a wide shot where the entire squad is going into the alien hive. Yeah. That's still, that's still James Ramar. And you can see when he turns his head a little bit that it's not Michael Bean. Oh, interesting. I, I actually didn't know about that. So yeah, I would lo- if I ever interviewed James Ramar, I'd ask him about the aliens fiasco. Because yeah, I'd yeah. want to know what the hell happened. If I were to take a guess, he wanted to play the part one way. Cameron wanted him to play it another. <laughs> yeah, but here's the weird thing. Now that I've said that, look at the way Michael Bean plays the part. And I think he plays the part brilliantly. I don't know if James Ramar would have been a better choice, though. If James Ramar would have been a better... I, I don't know. I'd have to see footage of that. But I, I love James Ramar. Yeah, and I, 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 I could totally I just picture James hours Ramar. last night. I could totally picture James Ramar in that movie. <laughs> and the other thing Cameron did, which this he both screwed up and I think he was brilliant for, they only had eight alien costumes. Mm-hmm. So all those aliens you see running around are the same costumes patched back up again and again and again and again to create hundreds of aliens. That I think was brilliant, but Cameron screwed up. They give the number of colonists at the beginning of the movie. Now, since this is a parasitic race... You can only get one alien out of one person. Now, assuming not a single human was killed and every human was harvested, he has more aliens appear in the movie than there were colonists. And yet, if this movie were made today and I gave it a positive review, because of that, I'd get a hundred comments saying, boo, zero stars for that reason. People call me nitpicky on that, and I'm going, well, Cameron, you had millions of dollars. You couldn't have just counted... How many aliens you were using? I know that plot hole too because I used when we reviewed uh, Prometheus and somebody, I forget what they were talking, but it was some nitpicky minor, minor, minor nitpicky thing that they were using to bash the movie, and I responded and went like, went like, oh yeah, you know your beloved aliens you're talking about? How about this? And I put that down, and of course they responded with. Uh, yeah, well, uh, um, uh, yeah, the, uh, well, uh, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Yeah, she, it, it's, it's a math mistake, the same thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure, it's different. Difference is, is that movie's from the 80s and Prometheus is a new movie. That's their difference right there. And, and the other thing I think Cameron took away from, I think he took this away from the Roger Corman school, Aliens only cost $14 million. Mm-hmm. That Beautiful. movie looks a lot more expensive than a $14 million film, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yes. <laughs> so I think he learned when he worked for all those movies for Roger Corman and Piranha 2, Galaxy of Terror, Battle Beyond the Stars and all that. I think he learned how to stretch a budget, which is kind of contrary to the current James Cameron, though, isn't it? I mean, to him, now a $14 million budget's a day of shooting. Yeah. So that's, I, just a shoot, that's just to shoot five minutes on his 3D cameras. So I just find that funny that that film does not look nearly as expensive or as inexpensive as it was. And then again, now, at this point, the franchise didn't go into hypersleep. It moved to comic books. There were numerous comic book miniseries that picked up at the end of Aliens. One of them actually explained what the space jockeys were, too. Completely different explanation than what Prometheus gives, by the way. Then we move on to Alien 3, which was one of probably the most tumultuous films to ever actually break out of development hell. Uh-huh. 17 rejected scripts for that movie. 
by some big name writers like William Gibson and even David Toohey, who'd become famous for Pitch Black, he, he wrote a rejected script of Alien 3. Yeah, yeah. it was Pitch Black. It, it was basically Pitch Black. It was basically an escaped prisoner trapped on a planet of darkness, but the, there were aliens running around and the bounty hunter trying to stop them. And mm-hmm. Basically, Pitch Black is unofficially Alien 3. Which is and it's better of, than Alien 3. Yeah, it is. It, 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 that would have been a good sequel to Alien 3. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Aliens. But like, uh, you know, William Gibson's got, got, got shit canned because the Cold War, when the wall fell, his was all of a big parallel between the arms race between Russia and the United States. So once the Berlin Wall fell, it was like, well, your script doesn't work anymore. But then when Alien 3 finally hit theaters, you could tell that this film was a disaster behind the scenes. Not only does the script make no sense, they are constantly bringing things up and then solving the problem off camera, which is a big clue that there are a lot of deleted scenes. Mm -hmm. You have David Fincher almost taking his name off the film, his first film, something you don't see very often. Yeah. You've got the fact that the early trailers for the film have it set on Earth. (laughs) Yeah. The film doesn't in any conceivable way. You could tell that this was a highly troubled film. I hate Was that trailer depicting it being on Earth made before anything was even shot? They made that trailer before they had even settled on a script yet. Wow. And then it was turned out, oh, hey, yeah, we can't. We can't Uh can't set it on Earth. It's too expensive. So I hate Alien 3. I think the movie... It's a disaster, and I've read I've read a lot of the rejected screenplays. I've seen the work print, which makes a hell of a lot more sense. And the film is still, no matter what you do to this movie, it still sucks. And How is the, the is the work print better? Yes, it makes a lot more sense. Look, yeah. uh, for instance, there's that one. There's like a line of dialogue where uh, I, I I think it's the second in command says. Nothing works on this planet. We have hundreds of flashlights, but no batteries. And then in the theatrical cut, the very next scene, they're all walking down a hall with working flashlights. And you go, um, didn't you just say you didn't have them? Oh, the work print shows the one where they find the old box of batteries at the back of a supply closet. It's stupid, but it fills in a plot hole. And the whole movie is full of those. Hill and Geiler think the audience is a bunch of morons. And they outright say that, basically, David Fincher says that in the documentary, that the the facehugger being on board the Sulaco at the beginning of the movie, he yeah. kept trying to come up with a way to get it on there. Hill and Geiler said, and I quote, the audience won't care how it got there, just that it's there. That shows they have utter contempt for the movie right there. Yeah. Just need to move it along, stop wasting time trying to explain why it's happening. It's happening, accept it. And they're, and they're the executive producers. That pisses me off. All right. I first saw the movie in theaters and I was like 12. So and, did I. Yeah. And it was the first alien movie I saw. And at 12, you'll buy a lot of shit. So I didn't mind it at 12. How, how about the post 30 you? Uh, I hate it now. Yeah. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. But at 12, I, I dug it. And it's what got me to go out and watch the others, really. I'm kind of, I'm a little bit in his boat on that. I mean, it wasn't the first one I saw. The, uh, I did see it in the theater, and I, yeah, I would have been 12. Uh, uh, I did see it in the theater, and I don't think I, like, fell in love with it or anything. I, I don't know if I 
really, really, really liked it, but I certainly don't didn't remember hating it. Uh, I, I just kind of thought like, okay, it, it is what it is. It didn't. I'm 12 years old. It didn't bore me. All right. I saw again one other time, like some years later, and didn't really much care for it. I I don't have vile hatred towards the movie. I don't think it's a very good movie, but I can point to I can point to things about it that I think are okay. I think the acting is good. I do appreciate how bleak the movie is. I agree with that, and but that bleakness also, I think, partially hurt the story, such as the killing of Hicks and Newt. Not only do I think it was unnecessary, the excuse like Hill and Guiler give, Carrie Henn got too old and Michael Bean was too expensive. Michael uh-huh. Bean and Carrie Henn were both on the documentary in new interviews going, they never even asked us to come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's I think that's BS. I even thought that when I saw it as a kid. And, I, and, I, I did. You even but, story-wise, you could have gotten around Carrie Henn aging. Her hyper, yeah, you could have. Her, her, her hypersleep chamber malfunctioned. Boom, one line of, of bullshit technobabble, yeah. and you've explained why she's aged. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, but I other than that, I I did appreciate the, the certainly the, the rest of the bleak tone of the movie, how really pretty scuzzy looking it is. I, I, I liked that. I, I liked the look of the movie. I even think it's a well-made movie. It's just really dumb. It's not that suspenseful, really. It It's just, you can tell that it's a development hell movie. It just kind of lies there. Not a lot happens. And what does happen is, I can't say I really care about it. it what happens is it seems like it. it's just... Yeah, yeah, like it seems like what happens it is more of a matter of convenience or just to throw in some kind of silly plot twist out of nowhere. Uh, I do, again, like I said, I do think it's a well-made movie, and I I appreciate the fact that it's certainly a a grittier-looking movie. To me, it's it's just not that, it's really just not that entertaining of a flick. And see, this is where, now I was 17 when this came, when I saw this, so... This is where the real movie cynic in me, Brad, come, came out. And you you may pick on me for being overly critical, but even when I saw this in theaters, I walked out of it going, wait a minute, none of this makes any sense. Okay, so there's a fire on the ship, and the first thing that this military attack vessel does is ejects the humans into deep space. What the hell kind of fire protocols do they have in the future? And, and wait, wait a minute, Wayland yutani a company that's known to screw over everyone in the search of, of more money, almost Ferengi-like search of profit, they're willing to constantly resupply a bunch of convicted murderers because they found religion? No, this makes, you know, like the whole movie, it doesn't make any sense in a narrative sense. No, it doesn't. And my my thing on that is is that like you know what? If the movie was all kinds of balls out entertaining, I could forgive things like that. I can't. I do it all the time. But when it even fails at the simple fact of just pure entertainment or suspense or terror, then you then you just latch onto those. You latch onto those kind of things a lot more than you would if it succeeded in other areas. Right. And since Alien 3 was a big critical and financial disaster, yeah. the, the franchise stayed dormant outside of the comic books again. And then all of a sudden, 1996, I believe, Alien Resurrection was? Or was that 97? 
one of the two. It's definitely I was 90s. in high school. The, the, the late 90s comes around and Alien Resurrection pops up. And and this this little known writer named Joss Whedon was going to re completely rejuvenate this franchise. And he succeeded for about forty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the first forty five minutes of Alien Resurrection are actually pretty good. I was on board. I liked the characters. You can almost tell exactly when the movie starts going to shit when Michael Wincott dies. Yes. Yes. Especially because it's so stupid. Uh-huh. He dies in such a way that's completely contrary to the first 45 minutes of his character, too. That movie loses it when Michael Wincott. I completely agree with that. I felt that way the first time I saw it. And I didn't see Alien Resurrection in the theater. I saw it like when it first aired on like HBO or Cinemax or one of the two. Well, uh, I, I paid eight bucks to see it in the theater. Yeah, I yeah. saw it in the theaters, but not my choice. It was one of those I was dragged along with friends. Okay, so Alex, then what did you think of it? Did you hate it? I hated it from the trailer because I'm like, what, they brought her back? What, is she a effing clone? Oh, I'm not buying this. Well, I could buy the – again, it's like what we were saying with the uh, with Alien 3. I could totally get around like the clone thing and stuff like that if the movie was any good. <laughs> you know, When the movie's not any good, you, you just you latch on things like that and it just becomes more and more and more stupid but it if actually did those stupid things well then that would be fine i could certainly for, i could certainly forgive it of that it's, it's, a, it's alien four like you know at least if it was relatively suspenseful you know it would have that but it, well, i like alien three better than i like alien resurrection yeah alien resurrection i'm totally with you on the michael wincott thing it lost me like freaking crazy when michael wincott was killed off it it so did because that was just dumb that was just dumb and really unnecessary and he was the best character in the movie and also when the alien i'm going because i only saw this movie once i remember also being like really like kind of like uh with how the alien died at the end of the movie i remember the newborn yeah watching it being being just like that this is actually making me feel sorry for the alien i'm like this is a little i think you were supposed to if that, why would that be the intent? Because, okay, just knowing Joss Whedon, and I'm not throwing an insult at the guy, you know how he likes to think he's contrary to what you you expect to happen? Uh-huh. I think that that was a very Joss Whedon moment, for good or bad. Why? Like, it's, it would be one thing if, like, I was supposed to feel bad for the alien through the rest of the movie, but then at the end, it they kill it off so sadistically and lingeringly that I'm like, oh, this is, I don't like this much at all. Because there's that, I know exactly what moment you're talking about. That moment where it look, it's looking at Sigourney like, mom, why aren't you saving me? I probably, I, I'm going off of memory here. I, like I, I'm remembering more about my reactions than I am really the scene itself. Cause it gets sucked out of that thing. Right. It, 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 gets, it gets, it gets sucked out of a porthole it, it that, that Ripley's a, blood uh, bled on. That's it. Yeah, it gets sucked out of that thing. Yeah, there was that like look, like ugh. I'm like, this is a little much. And it's it's like the opposite of Aliens, you know, where she's defending and protecting Newt the whole time, but in Alien uh-huh. Resurrection, it's like f this kid. You've got a strong cast. You got Brad Dourif. You got Michael Wincott. You got Ron Perlman, and then you've, you've got, got Winona, Winona Ryder. Ryder. Winona Ryder gives one of the worst performances this side of Bram Stoker's Dracula. That was, she that looks was just, totally uninvested in even being in this movie. 
that seemed like it was just a weird stunt on her part almost like okay i've done all these like you know i'm an indie i'm a cute little indie girl i've done all of these you know kind of heavy dramas and whatnot hey why not let's do an alien movie and it was she could and i have i don't have anything against winona Ryder. i've seen her in things that i thought she did fine in that just seemed like miscasting and yeah. Alien Resurrection is the only movie where I'm like, with Winona Ryder, I'm like, hey, she's kind of good looking. You've got other problems. Like, I, I had, again, the the logic problems were coming in. So now this is even farther in the future than Aliens and Alien 3 were. You can clone a full-grown human being out of a blood sample, but you can't fix a guy's broken spine so he's in a wheelchair. Uh... Is that how medical technology works in the future? I think, alien, Resurre- that- I think alien, Resurrections, alien Resurrection has problems that far outweigh medical inaccuracies. It also has one of the <laughs> first line deliveries I've ever seen. This, the, the, the scene where Vries, the guy in the wheelchair, comes out of the ele- elevator and he goes, Who are you expecting? Santa Claus? <laughs> that is one of the worst line deliveries I have ever seen. I have to point this out about Whedon. He was completely behind the movie until it came out. He was, oh man, this movie's great. You know, it, it, it's really good. It's totally different. Once the critics started savaging the movie, oh man, they didn't follow my script at all. They changed my stuff. I, I'm, I'm not proud of this. The movie is almost his script by about 90%. So he was just saying that because he couldn't stand the audience thinking he made a, that he wrote a bad movie. That it was his fault. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I mean, you know it was what? Everyone's would, fault, but his. You know, I mean, he would have, he would have, he would have a solid argument if it actually, if it actually was that radically different. You can even find old interviews with him in like Cinescape and Starlog, where he talks about how they barely changed anything, and then after it came out, oh, they changed everything because you know, critically, he can't make a bad movie. Yeah, it's got to be somebody's fault. Yeah, yeah, that 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 I'm sure there was enough blame to go around and stuff like that. But if if it's 90 percent like your original script, then, you know, a lot of it's your freaking fault. They had hinted at a sequel at the end with Ron Perlman and, and them. The movie bombed. And again, the Alien franchise outside of the comic books went into stasis. Then the long, long in development hell alien prequel which eventually would be called prometheus which at one point had james cameron attached and mm-hmm. it had all these big name directors attached that and ridley scott finally came back and made it i'm weird on this movie i like the movie despite the hundreds of things i hate about it does that make sense there are some stupid things about the movie yeah i've never despite what some people think i said by putting <laughs> words in my mouth i never said this was a great four-star movie i just i just still liked it yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie, and yet there are tons of plot holes. I mean, I think Numi Rapace gives a great performance. Yeah, she does. I think Charlize Theron doesn't. I think Charlize Theron gave a great performance, too. I liked I, her in the movie. I liked I think, her a lot. I think Guy Pierce, an actor I like a lot, is completely wasted. There's no reason yeah. they couldn't have just hired an old man to play that role. Y- you're right. I mean... Right. Wasn't there some internet video or something that shows yeah. him as a younger thing or whatever? But yeah, I, I thought that when I saw the movie, I was like, why is that guy Pierce? Why is that just an old director? This is really, really distracting. But I thought the movie was entertaining. I thought the movie was very, very suspenseful. It intrigued me. The ideas in it intrigued me. I didn't need the entire thing explained to me. 
I still thought it maintained a level of of adult suspense, of mature ideas, of interesting science fiction. It's got stupid parts in it, but nothing, nothing that makes me be like, oh, because of those couple stupid things, this movie sucks. But I think those those few stupid things, and a lot of them are just, I don't think Damon Lindelof is a good screenwriter to begin with. And, I, and since he didn't really have any experience in movies, since he was used to TV... I think he was unprepared to write a movie because I thought his, I thought his script was fine. But to me, it was the fact that everything's telegraphed. Like as soon as they introduced the medical pod and they say it's calibrated for a male, I went, "Oh, okay, Wayland's still alive and he's on board." And I mean, every plot twist was telegraphed so far ahead of time, almost in a like a '70s TV movie sort of way. And that I just thought was a weakness some of, the, of the script. Some, some of that I picked up on, some of that I didn't. But you know what? The other movies have telegraph stuff in them too. Right. And that is not something that that is like that's like people who complain because that one character did something stupid in it. Yeah, that character did something stupid by going up to that creature that was in the water. That was dumb. Yeah. You know what other movies had people doing dumb things too? All of the other alien movies. John Hurt looks in front of the egg and goes, huh? and it latches onto his face. Yeah, the other movies do shit like that, too. It's just that people weren't so freaking annoyingly cynical back then. You know what? I wish that part with the guy who goes like, oh, yeah, you cute little thing. I w- which, yeah, that was dumb, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. But, Again, but see, that actually, that, Brad, is a perfect example of what I hinted at about Ridley Scott earlier. He cut a whole lot of scenes out of the movie that are all on the Blu-ray and the DVD that fill in a whole bunch of those plot holes because he said they slowed the pace down. He oh, says, I'll watch. I, I he says on the commentary, on the commentary, he's more concerned about keeping the movie paced well than making sense. Oh well, I'll gladly watch the. Uh, I'll gladly watch the director's. Cut. I'll gladly watch deleted scenes and stuff like that because I'm positive that it will make it a better movie. I just still liked it because, like you know, like like the scene with that you pointed out with the scientist going up to the penis vagina monster and oh, what a cute little girl you are, where he mm. was all scared before because it was a deleted scene where he first he found a little worm-like creature, so he'd already found an innocuous piece of life, so there was no reason for him to believe that this one wasn't innocuous as well. Yeah, yeah, and again, so that uh, explains yeah. his motivation and a big plot hole, and uh-huh. almost all the deleted scenes do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. wish, I, I wish, I wish that that would have been in the freaking movie. I wish it would have been released like that, so people wouldn't have bitched about it to Ian. Yeah, I thought it was a stupid scene when I saw it in the movie. I said that in the review, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. I thought it was a competently. You know, it had problems, sure, but it was a good yeah, sci-fi it, movie. I didn't, I hated it as an Alien prequel, though. Um, it's a good sci-fi movie, but for an Alien prequel, yeah, but it's not. It's kind of its own entity, though. It's not really. It's not it's, really a prequel. It just kinda is set in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. And if it was just set in the same universe, but the fact that it, everyone's like, it's a prequel that's terrible. I'm like, take that out, and it's still a pretty good science fiction film if, if anything i thought the weakest one of the weakest things about the movie was when the alien popped up at the end of it yeah it didn't bother me a lot of the plot holes that people picked out aren't plot holes 
you don't know how many reviews I read, Brad, that said, but the, the alien derelict ship doesn't crash in the same position you find it in an alien. Uh, guys, you know it's not the same planet as Alien, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that popped up a lot over on my page. Like, you know, it's a different planet, right? Like, oh, well... Uh, they, they even uh, say it right in the beginning. It, you know, it, it's like LV something, and the planet in Aliens is LV-426. Y- you guys know it's not the same planet, right? That's why it doesn't have to land in the same place? Well, uh, dude, uh, uh, dude, it still sucks. Okay, one of my big plot problems, well, not plot problems, but script problems, was one that was generally pointed out. Okay, Numi Rapace gets that really brutal abortion scene, which was cool and painful to watch. Her, her stomach only seemed to hurt her when the script called for it. She's running just fine and jumping and repelling, but walking causes her to double over in pain. And it's like, so the sutures only hurt when the script needs you to have the sutures hurt? Oh, man, I kind of know what you're talking about, because you know what else does that? Every horror film ever made. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, but, but, it, but it sucks when Prometheus does it. Keep in mind, I like the movie. I just but, have but, issues with it. So do I, but not that. Not, not, not something that every movie on the... That's like me getting, going to see an action movie and getting mad because the bad guys can't shoot straight. Brad, what was the biggest complaint people had when you reviewed it? When I reviewed Prometheus? Um, I remember you had to make a second video making fun of the people. A majority of honestly. Honestly, I, I mean, like, because I'm really I'm really just right now making fun of, like, severe, severe, severe nitpicks. There are legitimate problems with that movie. And those legitimate problems are not really small things about it. Like, somebody who sent me an email about, like, getting mad because the ship had windows on it. That's so cartoonishly nitpicky, it's crazy, even in the cynical age of the internet. You that see, was actually, Brad, that, that, you see, Brad, during the silica storm, the, the wind was going at the wrong direction for what the weather patterns on that planet would have been like, so the movie sucks. I think someone did say something like that to me. And what I just said about the windows, that I did that re-review, it wasn't because of people who legitimately had problems with that movie, which that movie does have some problems. But not like that. Not not like that. Not like, oh, they ended the sentence with a preposition or whatever we did in that video. <laughs> I, yeah, I love I, that. It, it was the most, it's still the most commented on video I've ever done. <laughs> I'm proud of that video. I, I, I really am. Uh, I mean, I was just, jo- I wasn't trying to be mean with the video or anything. I was just doing it for a laugh because some of those things like the windstorm and the windows on the thing nitpicky and the paint on the walls being the wrong color made me laugh they made me really laugh that's such a modern day internet-y thing to say about a movie when there are things about the movie that are kind of dumb but it's still an intriguing movie it to me was still entertaining and suspenseful and really well acted and it had some really good ideas in it so i i still liked it i i, I did i i, I like the movie i didn't love it but i thought it was pretty good so we're going to need to wrap it up. Next week, we're going to tackle the Predator franchise. And since we ran out of time this week, we're going to wrap the Aliens versus Predator movies over there as well. You guys have any closing thoughts on the Aliens franchise, the movies as a whole? And we'll, we'll count Prometheus in there, so the five films. I like the Alien movies, except for Resurrection, though. <laughs> and see, I love the Alien franchise. I've, I've got almost all the novels. I've got the comics. i got the action figures. 
I'm a huge fan of the franchise, despite three and four sucking major cock. One, two, and Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, three and four are the are the are the ass suckers in this franchise. Yeah. On that note, I'm gonna say good night. Episode over, man. Episode over.